0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So we're going to be talking today about practicing in difficult times. This could be outward difficult times, inward difficult times. It's actually all inward difficult times, right? It's how we're reacting to outer difficulties. And uh, obviously I think that today there's a lot of outward stimulus that could be causing turmoil within us. It doesn't We don't have to look very far to find some kind of turmoil these days or something to be concerned about. Uh, on top of just in the world, just speaking in the world and then of course what we're dealing with on our own So I think it would be a good time for us to kind of share um, How how do we practice and how do we use our practice uh, during difficult times? And I want to go over um, an old Tibetan teaching called the four methods for holding our seat the four methods for holding our seat and uh I like the title of this teaching. I, I look at it as like we're holding the seat for peace. You know, We have our center of peace within us. And uh, it's just like someone saying, hey, can you hold that seat for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can hold that for you. you know? And then somebody comes up and says, oh, can I sit here? And say, no, I'm, I'm holding that. My, my buddy Peace is hanging out there. <laughs> you know, and, and anger might come and want to take your seat. You know, or jealousy or envy might come and try to take your, take your seat. So, no, that's reserved. You know. So how do we hold our seat? And the, before I get into actually the four methods of a preliminary, is to practice before there's difficult times. This is the most important piece. And this is one of the most difficult to actually adhere to. And a lot of the teachers emphasize this so often, that when we're having a good samsara, when life is good, when life is just happy, happy, joy, joy, we do not feel the need to practice so often, right? It's when times are difficult then we really rely on the practice. and We really think, man, you know, where are these teachings? I really need something. I'm in despair. So we need to cultivate this this training beforehand. Let me actually read a quote I'm here in a moment. So this is first, you know, if we wake up and say, man, my life is good, man, practice your butt off that day, you know, (laughs) because you can. It's really hard to practice in difficult times, right? It's more difficult. Even though we rely on the teachings, it's more difficult. So that's the time to practice. Good samsara? Practice, practice, practice. It's also good to cultivate the experiential knowledge, but also the intellectual knowledge that we already are what we're seeking, you know, that we are the love that we seek. If we read the biographies of, of all the teachers and, and get into the teachings and really familiarize ourselves with this notion that we are this invincible love, right, this invincible love, unshakable love, that this becomes something that is so strong in our belief system that it can be unwavering. And of course, we can read about these things fantastic, and then in our sitting practice, we could, we could taste it. Maybe we could get glimpses of this, right? That this is within us. This is an unshakable, unwavering, you know, this, uh, feel, uh, feeling of well-being and happiness, right? And so sometimes I'll, I'll collect a lot of these sayings, quotes, and whatnot, and then I will go back to them in difficult times. And I kind of have them in my memory, so I'll go back to the books, you know, my bookshelf, like, oh, yeah, you know, and, and read, read that. You know, something to really anchor you into that peacefulness. Really important. So the first one of the four methods for holding our seat, not setting up the target for the arrow. This is the first teaching. Not setting up the target for the arrow. So if there is no target, the arrow cannot land. There's no target, the arrow cannot land. So if somebody cuts you off while driving, they've shot the arrow. But if you have no target of anger already existing, there's nothing, there's nowhere for it to land, right? So this is like somebody lighting a match and throwing it, but there's no fuel. Right? If you throw a match into cool water, you throw a flame, you know, light a match, throw it into cool water, it just diffuses, it's no problem. But if the fuel is already inside of us, as soon as it, it, it hits, it, it ignites, right? And there's, there's also the, the sutta of the second arrow. So this is very similar to this, right? The first arrow has already been shot. And the second arrow is how we react to this. So Buddha said you know, that the, the first arrow is on external stimulus, something that happened. The second arrow is on us. There's no need to shoot ourselves again. (laughs) The arrow has already been shot. And this is where mindfulness comes in. This is where the freedom of choice comes in because we have that freedom of choice. Now we can decide, how do we deal with this? Do we want to put a target on our back? Well, some people walk around with a target on their back. Like they're just so easily angered, for example. Like every single little thing, it's anger, anger. But if we train for anger, We get really good at being angry. We train for peace. We can get really good at being peaceful. So this is what to do. I'm gonna read a little something from Garchin Rinpoche on the how and and, uh, how we can train for that. You must train your mind like a muscle. If you want to train your body, you must practice exercise Regularly. Likewise, if you want to train your mind, you must practice meditation on a day to day basis. You will not be able to carry a heavy load with weak muscles. Training is a gradual process. You must persistently and constantly train your mind on a day to day basis if you wish to overcome difficulties and become stronger. Every time you recognize a thought, your mindfulness has become that much stronger. Slowly, you will gain an inner strength. In the beginning, it is not easy to overcome very powerful emotions. If the emotions are too overwhelming and you are unable to overcome them with mindfulness, you must apply a different method. You should then think of a deity like Tara immediately without allowing yourself to indulge in the bad feeling go over alternatives to thinking of Tara since he's Tibetan Buddhist. In the beginning, you do not recognize the emotions, but they still... In the beginning, you do recognize the emotions, but they still won't go away. That is because your mindfulness is not strong enough. Therefore, you must train the mind in all circumstances, not only when you encounter problems. You should train the mind first by recognizing the less intense thoughts. And if you train consistently with diligence, then eventually you will be able to overcome even more powerful thoughts. And later, no thought or emotion can trouble you anymore. Everything becomes the same. Then even though the body is in samsara, the mind is liberated. You have to make an effort to liberate your mind rather than your body. So a few things there, mindfulness, paying attention to the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally, this non-judgmental part. And it's so important with these little things that come, that come into our awareness. If we could liberate just the little things, the little words, little concerns, like, oh my gosh, I'm late, I wish I wasn't late. Watching that, liberating that, not following that. Not following. Garchan Rinpoche says the moment that we liberate a thought, we're a Buddha. Just that. And he says, though every single being feels it, whether they know it or not, because we just, we just added that to the consciousness, this infinite potentiality. We're not stuck into this closed uh, concept anymore. We're free. We're open. The moment we liberate a thought, we're a Buddha, just that. We recognize it. Oh yeah, that's what it is. It's gone. We blend back into compassion awareness, and we're open once again. It's that easy, just like this. And he's saying, go back to Tara, so he's saying that if, if we cannot liberate a thought, I love his analogy as well, of our mindfulness like a flame. So he's saying if our mindfulness is like a flame, we could burn up those little thoughts, but then a log of life can come and smother out our flame. We can't burn it up, it's too strong of an emotion. And he says, think of, think of Tara, which is a, a deity that, Tara is the, the deity of compassion and action Right? So she is the one in her mudra, a lot of the mudras having the deities sitting in Indian style like so. But if you look at Tara, she has one foot off because she's stepping into the world into action, into helping us, right. So in this we have to take we have to bring our mind into taking uh, thoughts of, of refuge. like in Buddhism we have this taking refuge. and taking refuge is taking refuge. In the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, but it's really in your own Buddha nature, right? It's in the fact that I was mentioning that you are this invincible love, well-being, right? And they say all the deities are within us. So if you believe in prayer, you could pray. If you know a mantra, you say a mantra. And this is to remember what we already are. We are the deity, right? And they are connecting us like we are the guru, we are the teacher, we are, we are the teachings. But something to connect you so you, you remember that this is just passing and that we're, we're the actual essence love. We're this essence love. We can't forget that. So instead of following and catastrophizing, so as long as this thought come, this thought arises and these emotions arise, and instead of focusing on that we have to take this very dil- diligent and it's effortful a lot of times we talk about meditation as effortless but this part it's okay at times for our practice to be very to be forceful you know, there's a sadhana that says you know as soon as as soon as a, a a harmful thought or emotion arises as soon as it arises look at it and avert it and it's not to say Ignore it, right? This is mindfulness coming up, but we don't follow it. We could say, I can hang out with you, but I'm not going to follow you. I could accept you. I could be aware of you. I'm not pushing you away, but I'm making a conscious choice of going elsewhere, going into the positive so we don't go deeper into harm. Right? We don't go deeper into harming ourselves. Number one, setting up the target not setting up the target for the arrow. That's number one. Number two, connecting with the heart. Read a little something from Pema Chodron. But when you practice the teachings that say, stay with grief, see it as your link to all humanity. You begin to understand that grief is a doorway to realizing that the sun is always shining. You begin to understand that the weather is transient like clouds in the sky. You begin to have more trust in the underlying goodness, the underlying sun quality of your being. Bama Chodron. Connecting with the heart. You know, the Dalai Lama says, you know, my mind can be very busy but my heart is very still. Yeah, my mind is very busy, my heart is very still. You know, Coming into the heart the heart knows it's safe. A lot of the mind will tell us that it's not, right? The mind, we can get into the, the fear and anxiety. We move into the more the primitive part of the brain, the survival part of the brain. But love knows that we're safe no matter what. They asked, well, Ram Dass was talking about a friend who has this great saying. Uh, this friend uh, works in hospice and, and uh, who's had some realization. And they asked him one time about death. He said, what do you feel about death? And Ram Dass' friend says, death? Death is safe. <laughs> death is safe, like, no problem. Safe, right? But there's a part within our minds that'll tell us that we, there's something here to protect. We really need to protect this, protect this, and me, and mine, and fear, and all that stuff, right? So moving into the heart, and I love what she says about connecting us to all humanity. Of course, everybody suffers doesn't matter how much money you make, what social class you're in, where you live in the world, everybody suffers. So it connects us us to humanity. We're not alone. A lot of times when we're feeling um, unstable, we feel alone. This is one of the most common things. We feel alone, and we feel like we need to retract. the opposite is true. We need to connect. We need to feel connected. God bless you. So coming into the heart, And coming into the heart of the Sangha, this is so important in difficult times. This is the heart chakra right here. We're sitting in the heart chakra right here of our practice, right? So coming into the heart is coming into the group. A lot of times you want to withdraw. Definitely meditate in groups in difficult times. Move into the Sangha, the community, your friends. Right? These are the anchors, the connectors. And then the practice that, if we have time, I want to do today is to do a practice called Tong Lin. How many people have done Tong Lin? Yeah. <clears throat> this practice and others like it, like we practice meta practice, we come into the heart and actually think of others that are maybe going through the same thing that you're going through during that time. I have one um, at the side of. The Dalai Lama, it is under great adversity that there exists the greatest potential for doing good both for oneself and others. So when we're, when we're connecting with pain and suffering, we have great compassion, where we can, right, for others that are suffering. Now, if we're having a good samsara again, everything is good and somebody's, you, look at, you hear about somebody's having a really hard time and you're like, why? Life is great, so awesome, I feel fine. Right? We have a hard time connecting. But if you've gone through it or you're going through it, oh my gosh, right? The compassion for that. That poor being. I hope she's okay. I hope he's okay. Right? So the practice of, of Tong Lin is um, giving and receiving. Right? And uh, or yeah, taking, taking and giving. And and in this practice we visualize actually taking on the pain and suffering of others and transforming that by the actual act of compassion. This this energy is shifted and transformed. And as it enters our body, we visualize this pain and suffering in the form of of black smoke. And as it enters the body, it's transformed into a lightning bolt of light. And it crashes upon our heart. And we can visualize our heart having an outer shell, if you will, like a dark shell. And this is like the self-cherishing, more selfish aspect of our being, of our heart. And that lightning bolt comes and crashes down and, and obliterates the shell of our heart. And it illuminates our entire being with unimaginable divine light and love. And being filled with this divine light and love, we breathe back out. And we breathe that light back into the, that individual or those individuals. And we fill them up with that light. And there's an old story about Tonglin healing lepers in the path. Beautiful story that they heard about this teaching. So this gets us out of ourselves too, woe is me, you know, like going down, down. I can't believe this happened, this maybe more victim type of, type of outlook, right? It gets us more into really feeling. And this gives us also this sense of purpose once again. Sometimes we feel kind of helpless, we feel like our sense of purpose is lost. This is very important to hang on to, is that this could be such a fantastic tool like that quote, for this great, amazing growth to happen, which is the next part of the teachings. So number three is seeing obstacles as teachers. Seeing obstacles as teachers. Has anyone heard the uh, lobster story of how the lobsters grow? No? So how lobsters grow? (laughs) Because lobsters have a hard shell, so they're within a hard shell that is actually permanent in the fact that, well, I should say it's not permanent, but it's um, non, uh, it does not expand. It does not grow itself, so it's fixed. The shell is fixed, but the lobster is growing within a fixed shell. As the lobster is growing, it starts to press against the fixed shell, and it starts to feel the stress and confine of of that shell. So it actually has to go and dive and hide underneath a rock for protection, and it casts off that shell, and it grows a new one. Then that shell eventually... Becomes too tight. It's outgrowing it. It feels the stress of it. Being that feels the stress of it, it goes and hides underneath the rock. It takes it off. So, the analogy here is that these very things, these very obstacles, these very challenges are the ones, of course, that allow us to grow the most. And I believe it was this rabbi that was telling this story. And he says, now, if lobsters had doctors, they would never grow. <laughs> they would go to the doctor, they would get a medicine, and then they would forget to grow. They would be like, this shell's cool, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, so we have to look at it as an opportunity for growth, and we really want to transform our difficulties. Not run away from them to transform them. This is the way that we could really grow and help others to transform them. And then we don't need to have fear anymore too, right? If we run away from them, then there's fear, right? There's an aversion aspect. We have to look at them till we know that they are the essence of love like everything else. No matter how fearful they look, how filled of anxiety we might have about it, that's another aspect of love. Somehow we could... Be with it long enough so that that is revealed to us, somehow, sit with it long enough, right? And they've looked at people that are resilient, resilient people, resilient individuals. And there's a few different qualities they have, and that's one of the qualities that when they're faced with challenges, or the obstacles, they look at it as a challenge. So you know what, I I, I could overcome this, I could learn from this. And the second thing is they only focus on what they can control. There might be total chaos, but what can they control out of this? And it might be some external things, and the one thing that we could always choose is our attitude towards whatever situation, right? So that's another quality of highly resilient people. And then they only focus on the positive, and then they put their full energy on that, what they can control on the positive. They put their full energy on that. And spiritually speaking, we could put our full energy in those times of com- complete faith in our Buddha nature, right, in the divinity within, in our own, we could say namaste to ourself and really mean it. I salute the divinity within you. I know that, it, that the divinity within me is my true essence, that all these things, these, these thoughts, emotions, they're all going to fade away. I was having a hard time, one time I was talking to my teacher and she said, well, you know it's not gonna last. I mean, and we all know that, but sometimes we forget. We're like, it's not gonna last, you know? And so when we think it's not gonna last, sometimes we could even cultivate a sense of appreciation. And this is a golden opportunity. What can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? There's a saying in Tibetan tragedy tragedy should be utilized as a source of strength. No matter what sort of difficulties, how painful experiences, if we lose our hope, that's our real disaster. The Dalai Lama. And the fourth teaching is regarding what occurs as a dream, regarding what occurs as a dream. So, so they say looking at it as it's passing, like I just mentioned. So regarding it as a dream, just like in a dream when you wake up and you're like, oh, that's not so bad. I mean, it was a dream. I'm awake. Oh, man, that sent, that felt bad, but it really it really wasn't real. Yeah. And during an MBSR class, a mindfulness-based stress reduction class that I was teaching, we do this Pleasant calendar and unpleasant calendar, where you record the pleasant uh, activities or situations and you record at night the unpleasant ones, this is the kind of second part of it. And this man was sharing about the unpleasant calendar of events. He said, Oh, how was that for you? So he spent a week doing it. And he said, You know, I started to realize, I started recording my unpleasant events and I started to get worked up. Again, I started recording them like a confrontation at work or something like that. So I recorded at night, you know. And then, but I realized that I wasn't as worked up as the actual moment of that, you know, that it had faded. And then, and then when I recorded the second night stuff, I thought of the, the day before, that little confrontation that I had the day before. And it was like, it's like nothing now, you know, 48 hours had passed. And it's no, no problem, right? He says, by the end of the week, I started to write down the unpleasant event of the day, and I realized it's going to pass. Right in in a few days from now, or a week from now, or even right now, doesn't really matter. And then he started noticing as the confrontation arose That it wasn't going to matter that night when he did the, you know, the unpleasant calendar. So why even get worked up now? So this is looking at it, you know, like a dream, like it's happening. But we kind of make it real when we make it real. Right? We don't need to make it so real. We could have that choice. We could say, oh, this is... This is okay, and especially when it comes with other people. You know, we could totally transform that easily because we definitely know if they're being confrontational, we could easily transform that into compassion. If somebody is very irritated, we could say, wow, they're probably going through something very difficult. You know. I told this story um, in the deepening class and a few of a few of the participants are here, so they're gonna hear the story again, but uh, my girlfriend Katie. She was. She was at work, uh, a couple weeks ago, and she said hello to a coworker, and the coworker didn't say anything back in return. Just in a small confines of like a break room, didn't say a word. Said, Good morning. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And so Katie was like, "Well, excuse me. <laughs> Why do you do that?" She says, "What?" She says, "Well." I routinely say hello to you. Do you realize that you do not say anything in return? You don't say anything back. And she just looked at Katie and then went back to what she was doing and then walked out of the room. Yeah. And so, you know, it's easy to look at that and mean like, what is her problem? You know, like, and then the other way to look at it is, oh my God, what is her problem? What, what is she going through? And this might be a great person to reach out to in a sympathetic way and say, how are you? you know, how are you doing? Are you okay? Because there's obviously something happening there, right? So these are ways that we could trans- easily transform those things. So, uh, this is uh, the wisdom. The four methods of, of holding our seat, and and I mentioned um, in the newsletter. We're revamping the newsletter, and now we're going to we're going to be summarizing uh, the the Sunday sit uh, teachings um, in our newsletter. So we're, I'll, I'll, I will be sending this out to you. So. I want to give us enough time. I think we have time to do both because the Tonglen won't take too long. Um, because I know there's a lot of wisdom in this room on how we have all been able to use uh, our practice to overcome difficulties. I definitely want to allow us to share with each other and maybe share some, some wisdom in, in the large group because I think that will be wonderful. Uh, but I want to do even five minutes or so of, of Tonglen so maybe if we want to get back into our, our meditation posture. And this this technique can feel uncomfortable. And, and, and I totally understand that and give you the full freedom of choice you know, to maybe do a different meditation if you, if you want. Um, but it's completely safe. And in fact, it's, complete, it's unbelievably healing. I mean, the act of taking on somebody's uh, suffering, you know, this physically might feel a little bit odd at first. But it's an incredibly powerful healing technique. So maybe just starting by coming into your breath, just allowing everything to settle, allowing everything to be as it is, allowing the body, the mind, the breath. And then, allowing to come to mind a time, a situation where you felt kindness. You felt kindness arising. Maybe you gave kindness, compassion. Or maybe you were on the receiving end. It could be something as simple as petting an animal Exchanging a smile, just allowing that warmth, whatever it might feel like <coughs> within your own being, just getting a felt sense of what it's like to be with kindness. from this place of warmth, visualize, visualizing a person that you know that may be in a place of difficulty, may be suffering, or it could be a group of people too, refugees for example. And really connect with your own compassion. which is the sincere desire that they are free from their suffering. I do not wish to see you suffer. This practice is usually done in relationship to the breath, breathing in, breathing in their suffering, and then breathing out. But it doesn't need to be done with one breath. So, As I go through the instructions, I will say breathing in, but if it takes you a few breaths, breaths, then that's totally fine. But imagine that there's suffering as you inhale Imagine that their suffering is in the form of black smoke, and you're breathing in this black smoke, but as it enters your body, through your compassion, it's transformed into light. And even a lightning bolt, and this lightning bolt of light, of compassion comes and shatters the self-cherishing aspect of your heart. Breaks open the shell of your heart and reveals an unimaginable, divine essence of love. And this inner light ex- expands and fills up the entirety of your being Filled with this divine light, you exhale. And this light flows into that person or those individuals and frees them of their suffering. And you can continue to do this on your own. Connecting with a sincere wish to free them of their suffering. Breathing in, taking away their suffering in the form of smoke, transforming it into light. Light crashes down on any self-cherishing aspect of your being, the jealousy, the envy, the selfishness. reveals an all-powerful light filling up your being. You are filled with all the goodness in the universe, all the love, and you exhale, exhale and give them this light, imagining all their suffering disappears. May all beings be free from suffering. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.